What's next, Emily? A telescope on a balloon? And welcome back to another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. My name is Chris, sitting opposite me, as ever, at the microphone, Emily Brunson. Hi, Emily. Hello, hello. So, back in episode 36, we talked about a telescope on an aeroplane, which at the time seemed ridiculous. If you think about it for more than about 30 seconds, you think, no, 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 it can't possibly work having a telescope on a plane. Turns out you can do it. And Emily's seen it. She's been on the plane and she's, you know, taken photographs of herself with the telescope on the plane. It's a real thing. And that works. And I, at the time, I made a joke, which was, well, if you can have a telescope on a plane, what's next, Emily? What is it going to be? A telescope on a balloon? Turns out... We actually do have telescopes and balloons. Turns out that's a thing. So, um, you know, well done, Chris. Um, That was supposed to be, you know, an amusing amusing aside. Well done for putting uh, putting down decades of uh, research in balloon astronomy. Yeah, sorry, sorry, everyone. I mean, I guess if I'd thought about that a little bit longer, I might have come to the conclusion that that's actually possible. So we're going to talk a little bit about telescopes and balloons today, but we're talking about that as a sort of a preliminary lead-in to talking about something which which I think is one of the most amazing things in, in the modern history of cosmology and astrophysics, which is a little thing called the cosmic microwave background, the, the leftover glow from the Big Bang itself. So we're going to be talking about that today. But first of all, balloons, telescopes, what? 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 <laughs> How does that even work? Well, actually, the two th- things that you just mentioned go together, right? Mm-hmm. So what we're looking for is we're looking for microwaves. So this is part of microwave astronomy. And microwaves come from the universe. They come from lots of things. But mostly what we're doing when we're talking about microwaves is looking at the CMB. Uh, so it's cosmic microwave background. And uh, one of the ways that we used to do this uh, very, very successfully, and actually still still do some of the uh, more modern um, flights, is with balloons. Now, these, these aren't sort of Winnie the Pooh style, tying a bunch of balloons to a telescope and watching it float away. I'm guessing these are, these are sort of your very, very large, um, what, are, what are they, sort of weather balloon type yeah, things. Yeah, the basic principle is actually the same. You tie yeah. your telescope to a balloon and watch it float away. It's still a balloon. It's but just it's, a but bigger it's not, balloon. It's not sort of, you know, Pixar's up. No. Style, we're going to float away with 800,000 balloons attached to our very large telescope. It's not that. That's my mental image, just so you know. That would be fantastic. That would be great, but it's not that, is it? But they are quite pretty. They're big silver weather balloons. Yeah, and really big sort of long teardrop or inverted teardrop shapes. Yes, yes, and they change shape as you go up through the atmosphere because, of Mm. course, all the pressure changes. So they grow as the pressure goes down as you go up higher and higher. Right, and they go very high. Very, very high. Yes, the one we're going to be talking about today actually went up 42 kilometres. That's a long way. That's basically to space, except it's not to space because a balloon wouldn't work in space, would it? Yeah, and that's the whole point. We want to go basically to space because in microwaves, it turns out the atmosphere is super absorbent to that type of light. So we just don't get very much on the ground. If you want to get more, you've got to go above it. Same principle as uh, Sophia, actually going to go above the um, most of the atmosphere or as much as you can so stick things up high so that makes sense the the i mean it's the same with sophia my main question my main concern about this emily because i am concerned i worry about these things is like telescopes 
need to be stable, don't they, really? Like, if you're looking at something with a telescope, doesn't matter kind of what telescope it is, doesn't that need to be a fairly stable observation? In which case, strapping something to a balloon doesn't feel to me like the most stable of environments. Am I wrong? You're not entirely wrong. Okay, good. So we don't necessarily... I like being not entirely wrong. <laughs> we don't necessarily do this with the kind of telescopes that we use for optical light to get okay. those wonderful Hubble pictures, for example. But we do do it with different types of telescope, with different types of sensors on them as well. So we have to sort of cast away the idea that we're looking through a camera lens at the universe at this point. In fact, we're using some very sophisticated detectors called bolometers, and what, are they bolometers because they're on a balloon? No, it's no? just a, it's just a fun coincidence. Just, I like that a bolometer on a balloon. Yeah, no, don't say that. Ten There's times a kids' fast. book in that. <laughs> so bolometers basically take incoming light, and they're, they're temperature sensors. So they can take the incoming light, basically how much the temperature rises in the bolometer tells you the intensity of the light that hit it. To how bright it was. And you basically do a colour by numbers um, way of looking at the sky by pointing your different bolometers at different directions. When you say, oh, that, that's a seven over there, and then it's next to a three, and then it's next to a two, and then it's next to an eight. So you can basically build up a picture just by using these very um, nice detectors. So you're not talking about like zeroing in on, on an incredibly small bit of sky in the in the way that, say, Hubble does in order to get these extraordinarily high-resolution images of objects. You're pointing in a specific direction in the sky in order to get a general in this direction we're measuring this amount of stuff. Yeah, That's exactly. The kind of yeah, there's, yeah. there's this many microwaves coming from that bit of the sky. Exactly. We don't do um, all-sky mapping using these balloons, right? Um, but yeah, there's been quite a few of them, very, very successful. In fact, I loved all the acronyms, so I wrote them all down. Acronyms in astronomy are always good. So always good. hit me with it. What's, all right. Okay, so one. I found um, a, at least 14 different balloon missions. Wow, um, okay. Most of them happened in the 1990s, mm-hmm. up until 2000. The 1990s um, were a boom era for balloons in astronomy. But here, Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Right. Okay, so the list includes... Argo, FERS, MSAN, Maxima, QMAP, BAM, Boomerang, Archaeops, Arcade, Tophack, Ebex, Spider, and the list goes on. So, hang on. A, a few of them leaping out at me. Spider's leaping out at me, which is a bit disconcerting. Um, these are all acronyms? These are all acronyms, and I didn't write down all the acronyms. What was the one in the middle there? Was it Billab? Boomerang. Boomerang, not Billabong. That's the other one. Boomerang. Yeah, of course the Australian picks up on the Boomerang one. Well, yeah. So Boomerang is an acronym. What's that? Well, actually, so I thought that Boomerang is one of the most important ones. Yeah. It's really, really nice to pick out because it's um, one of the first measurements that we actually made whereby we were able to tell the shape of the entire universe. Wow. Yeah, okay. So- and, what, and what shape is it? <laughs> well, it turns out the universe is flat. Right. Okay. Completely flat or just mostly flat? As flat as we can possibly measure it to be flat. Wow. That is flat. That's that quite is flat. Because the alternatives are not flat, but in what way? Like how, how would the universe not be flat? What shape would it be so if it wasn't flat? incredibly difficult to imagine. So when we say flat, we don't necessarily mean it's like a flat earth kind of flat universe kind right. of thing. We don't all live in two dimensions, right. obviously. But what we're talking about is the curvature of space-time. And space-time is kind of the founding fabric of the universe. So does it curve kind of outwards so that you get this kind of bubble? Does it curve kind of inwards so that you get something a bit like a saddle? 
or is it just completely smooth and flat? Yeah, and when, when we're talking about curving here, I mean, this is the really hard part. This is curving in four dimensions, which really, really hurts. I mean, it's hard enough to think about these things in three dimensions. Yes. You know, when we talk about the surface of a sphere, we're talking about a two-dimensional thing in three-dimensional space, and we're used to that. That's the sort of thing that we look at all the time. Trying to imagine a three-dimensional... Okay. And then four-dimensional? That's even harder. So... But I, one thing that you can think about, perhaps, is correct me if I'm wrong. I could be could be wrong about this, but the, to the best of my understanding, if the universe is curved, kind of like you know a, a sphere, but four dimensional sphere, um, it's curved around that way as opposed to the saddle shape. Then you could head off in a direction through space and keep going, and eventually you would wrap around that sphere and come back to where you started from, even though you were going off in a straight line. Yes. That's the idea. Yes. It might take you a really long time to do that, but that's the notion of a of a closed universe as opposed to the other one, which is open, where you just keep on going forever. Yeah, although there are different ways that you can keep, yeah, you yeah. can loop back around in a flat universe, but it gets really, really hard yeah. to imagine. Cosmologists don't at me, you know, I'm, I, it's been a while. <laughs> I haven't studied this in a while, but that's, there. Yeah, there's something in that. The point is that it tells us something about the ultimate fate of the universe, mm. and that's the important thing. So it tells us, does is the universe going to keep, for example, uh, depending on, other forces, a dark energy that we're also not going to talk no, about. not today. Um, but depending on other things that are happening, you can say things about, is the universe going to end where everything's flying apart forever and ever and ever? Or is it going to end where every, eventually everything kind of slows down, stops, and then comes back all to back together in the opposite direction? Yeah, a big crunch. And a big crunch. Mm. So it's a really important measurement to yeah. tell us something about how the universe is yeah. going to evolve. I mean, not, not important in a sort of, is the universe going to end next Tuesday kind of way important in a what is this thing that we live in kind of way you know it's, it's one of those kind of questions it's not it's not important for anyone's everyday life but it's important it's yeah. very important yeah, yeah yeah anyway so um boomerang boomerang was where we started that yeah. boomerang stands for what emily a balloon observations mm -hmm. of millimetric mm -hmm. extragalactic mm -hmm. radiation mm -hmm. and geophysics boomerang. we're missing an r Aren't we? Isn't there an R missing? We've got all uh, the radiation, other radiation. Oh, no, radiation is in there. Okay. All right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, they worked hard for that one. I think they, points They really for that. did. And you're going to love why they call it boomerang. Why? Because it's a very, very clever balloon. Basically, you send it up mm -hmm. in a particular place on the earth and it comes back to you. Wow. That's not bad for a balloon. What is it, tied down? How does that work? No, we uh, launched this balloon from McMurdo Station in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And then it was carried by the polar vortex, basically up and around the South Pole, and then back down again to nearly the place where it left off. That is clever. So it basically is a boomerang. It goes is. up, goes around, comes back down again. Really nice, nice isn't it? Nice. Yeah. So they worked hard for that acronym and they knew where they wanted to get they were, to. They knew where they were All going. Right. So there's a lesson there for acronym builders everywhere is have it, have it built into the design spec from the beginning, I think. So, okay. So those are all of our balloon telescope missions. Yes, you know, there's, yeah. there's a whole bunch of them. This is not a dumb idea. It's not as funny as I originally <laughs> thought. It's a thing. So, And it gets you on the cover of Nature. Well, not me personally, well, but it does The boomerang get on... team definitely did. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For so, those, those uh, measurements of the geometry of the universe okay so this is a big thing it's an important thing and i should just learn to mind my manners basically <laughs> and not upset the astronomers working with the balloon so sorry everyone but look importantly these are all things which are which are measuring um this this 
absolutely amazing thing about the universe called the cosmic microwave background. Or maybe they're, they're not all doing that. Are they all doing Most of them are, Most yeah. of them are. Um, the cosmic micro, the CMB, cosmic microwave background. So we should probably talk about that a bit because this Definitely. is really, really good stuff. So, Emily, what? where do we start with the CMB? Where did it start? Well, let's break it down into what it actually is. I mean, okay. we've got cosmic. Yep. Yep. Uh, microwaves. Microwaves. So coming from microwaves. And it's background. Now, that's the key word here if you want to figure out where this is coming from. It's a background because it's absolutely everywhere. Every direction in the sky you point, you will see cosmic microwaves coming towards you. And this was this was one of the really interesting things that like the story about how this was discovered, I think is is absolutely fabulous. What were the what were the two astronomers' names? Penzias and Wilson. Well they right. weren't astronomers. That's no, they weren't, that's thing. right, were they? They had the, the big horn shaped microwave um, instrument. But what were they doing? So they're working at Bell Laboratories. This is in 1964, Penzis and Wilson. They're working uh, to try and see if microwaves could be used as a more efficient method of kind of radar communication. Right. Because, of course, microwaves are used in communication all the time. Now, you know, your mobile phone uses microwaves to communicate back and forth. So, you know, it's not just something that you find in ovens in your kitchen. This is a it's, it's around us all the time and it's useful all the time. And so they're they're experimenting with this down at Bell Labs in the in the states, and they've got this huge kind of weird angular horn shaped device, which is, you know, they can point it in different directions and use it to send and receive microwaves, and they 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 find this signal. There's this background sort of very low level background hum at a at a particular particular frequency. Yeah, a bit like and, a hissing. Yeah, yeah. Bit, of a, bit of a hiss. And it's really annoying because it's getting in the way. Like, we've got to get rid of that so that we can make these clean, clean measurements. And they can't, they can't find the source of it. And where the hell is this thing coming from? They even thought that it was um, as a result of pigeon poo, that pigeons had been roosting, birds had been roosting inside this huge metal horn shape. And the poo was reacting with the metal and causing electrical interference to give this background hum. Turns out it wasn't pigeon poo. It was, in fact, the universe. It was, they were tuning in for the first time to, you know what? Everywhere we point, every single part of the sky, there's this background noise. What the hell is that? But around the same time, people were kind of calculating that, you know what? Maybe there should be a background hum in the universe. What was that from? From the Big Bang. From the Big Bang. How does that work? So, well, if you think about the the um, we've talked about big the Big Bang before and yep. how we have this um, sort of kind of well, something strange quantum fluctuation <laughs> rah 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 we won't go into that quantum quantum something something, something, something. boom yeah. yeah okay and then you had the universe mm-hmm. in existence and uh, the universe expanded very very rapidly and it was very very hot and very very dense in the very initial stages and we've talked about we talked about for example in an earlier episode about how you form elements out of that. If you come all the way back to this point uh, in time when there was a huge period of the universe's history where we can't ever probe it because we don't know what happened uh, when we don't have any photons that come to us from this time in the universe. Right. I mean, our observations of the universe, ignoring gravitational waves for a second, because that's very, very new. So ignoring that, pretty much everything else we do involves photons of some kind, light whether that's visible light or ultraviolet, infrared, radio waves, gamma rays, whatever it is, it's all the same stuff. It's all 
photons. So without photons, vast majority of, of astronomy is done. We, we've got nothing. And so there aren't photons. We can't, we can't see it. No. So in the very early days of the universe, it was just a hot, messy blob, right? And photons were interacting with the electrons and the, the very first particles, but they were interacting and going back and forth and so on so much that they just couldn't escape. Right. It's this impenetrable soup of charged stuff. And it was, it was like that because the universe was so hot that atoms couldn't form. Right, whole atoms. And the thing about an atom is that, I mean, hydrogen, for example, you've got a proton in the middle, which is positively charged, and an electron around the outside, which is negatively charged. And so if you look at that from a distance, it's neutral. There's no charge. The charges cancel out, which means that photons can just whistle on past without seeing anything unless they get really, really close into the, into the atom. So when you've got protons and electrons way too hot to form atoms, then the whole thing is just this big soup of charge, electrical charge, and the photons are going, there's a charge, there's a charge, charge over there, charge over there, and they're just bouncing around in this crazy charged soup, and you don't get any photons coming off to tell you what's there. Yeah, and the universe kind of continues expanding and continues expanding, but as it's expanding, it's cooling down. Yep. So as you start to cool down, the temperature starts to drop and eventually you get to this point where the hydrogen atom actually comes together. It doesn't, it's too... It's reaching this point where it's cool enough for those charges, the, the positive proton and the negative electron, to be able to go into this lower energy state of an atom bound together. If it was hotter than that, then the electron would go, no, I'm off over here, but it's cool enough. that No, this is a nice place to be. And atoms can form. And, and you have form, hydrogen. Form, and you've got hydrogen. But that means for the photons that suddenly the universe, and it was quite quick, wasn't it? Quite suddenly. It happens very quickly because you've got this ultra-dense material. So once it starts to happen in one area, it's kind of like a chain reaction mm. that propagates through. Because once you start to lose photons out of sort of one side of the universe, if that makes any sense, then uh, you basically rapidly cool the rest of the, the plasma blob. Um, so what happens is, it's, if you can imagine a little bit like the fog lifting in the universe, you had this blob that you couldn't see into because it was opaque, and then once the atoms formed, the hydrogen atoms formed, the photons were able to free, to be free and escape from that blob and therefore travel out through the universe and become that universe actually became transparent. Which is, which is really interesting because if you think about that for a second, just before that moment, all of these photons are, are, are bumping around the charges because the charges haven't made atoms yet. So they're all bumping around. And if there's a bit of the universe which is a little bit more dense or a little bit less dense then you're going to have much more charges in the dense bit and much fewer charges in the or a bit fewer charges in the in the less dense bit and so the photons are going to be interacting with those charges a little bit more in the dense bit and a little bit less in the less dense bit and then suddenly the universe changes from charged soup opaque can't you know photons can't travel through it easily to suddenly it's it's transparent and the photons can just clear out and they're carrying with them at that point the signature of what the universe looked like in terms of its density, where the stuff was at that point in time. Yeah. That's what the cosmic microwave background is, is at that epoch where everything joined together into atoms, then you've got this picture of the universe wafting out, waiting for us to look at it. 
And that's the beautiful thing. These photons are the oldest photons that we can ever possibly look at because they were emitted from this, um, from this recombination period something like 380,000 years into the history of the universe. Now, 380,000 years is a long time in human time scales, but we're talking 380,000 years out of 3.8 billion 13. years. Sorry, 13.8 billion years of the universe, which is a tiny fraction of the life of the universe. So these are really old. Really, really old. And these guys with their big horn-shaped microwave antenna thinking it was bird poo, turns out it's not bird poo. It's the oldest photons that we've seen, which is kind of a cool discovery. And a brilliant thing is you've probably seen some of them as well. Really? How? So I think the, the statistic is something like half a percent of all the static that you get in old um, television receivers is actually noise created by these photons drifting around. Right. So if anyone listening out there is old enough, as I am, to have seen a television which used to get analog pictures through the airwaves, you know, through as, as, as radio waves coming across the, across the, the world from the towers to my little aerial. And if you tune that TV off the station, uh, then you just get static. It's your classic sort of static of noise. But on the, the, the picture on the screen is a lot of little, little random dots because uh, you're just basically trying to tune into whatever's there in the air. There's no strong signal. But you're saying what percent? Something about half a percent. Half a percent of those dots, right? So one in, one in every 200 of the dots on the screen is from a cosmic microwave background photon, which yeah. is kind of cool. That's really And cool. kids today won't get that because no one sees static anymore because it's all over the interwebs. No. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Kids, go and get yourselves an old school TV and then you'll figure out what Just sit down and watch the CMB for Exactly. A while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. So that's really interesting. So we have our photons that were left this, uh, the universe. Now, the universe was very, very hot at this point, right? It wasn't, it was something like 3,000 degrees still yeah it cooled but not that much now what's happened now if you think about temperature we temperature and, and light we have this relationship between when you are at a temperature you emit light so you and i are emitting light in this room we're emitting it in the infrared so that's how infrared cameras work yeah yeah that's how yeah. you know those those see in the dark cameras that you that you see in in spy movies and war movies that's how they work because they're seeing the light that's that we emit because we're warm yeah and the higher, the hotter you are, the higher up the spectrum the light you emit. So the sun is very, very hot on the surface, right? It's about 6,000 degrees. So it's emitting light that we can see with our eyes. Yeah, as well as lots of light that we can't see with our eyes. But the reason that our eyes see the way they do, presumably, is because evolution said, hey, there's a lot of light over here. We should have a look with that. See if that works. Anyway, the, the so sun the, emits so the most, what we the call the most common light, light yeah. if you like. The most common number of photons come from the visible spectrum yeah. from the, the sun. And uh, so if you, as you cool down, if you go down to about 3,000 degrees, this is actually the temperature of a very cool star, right? So if you think about some of the reddest stars in the night sky, the coolest ones that we have on the surface anyway, then this is about what the temperature of the universe was at this time. Now, those would have, have emitted something like very, very red photons to maybe just a little ways into the infrared. Okay. So why are we looking at them in microwaves now? Because microwave is not visible. You can't see microwave. It's lines. further down the spectrum you can't see, more. You can't see the signal that's coming to and from your mobile phone. You can't see that going around. Um, and so that means that, so microwaves are much lower energy, aren't they? 
yep. much longer wavelength, much lower frequency, right? They, they all mean the same thing. So if originally the universe was at 3,000 degrees, it's not anymore. We don't see the universe as this incredibly hot thing. Why not? Well, it turns out the universe has gotten a whole lot bigger since then. Right. So the, the whole expansion that allowed this thing to happen in the first place, the transition from completely opaque to completely transparent when, the, when all the atoms formed, that's still going on. We're still expanding. Yep. And it's cooled all these photons down so that they used to be at a temperature of 3,000 degrees. Now they're at a temperature of, well, in Kelvin, it's about 2.7 Kelvin, which in our Celsius measurements is minus 271. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you've never used, you're out there in listener land, if you've never used Kelvin before, it's really, really easy. It's just like Celsius or centigrade, except that it starts at zero, you know, absolute zero where virtually nothing happens is zero Kelvin, which is minus 273 Three. degrees Celsius. Um, and that's zero Kelvin. And so we're talking how much above that? 2.7. 2.7 degrees above nothing. Which is that's very cold. Very cold, but yeah. it's but um, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. So it's, it's in the microwaves. This temperature. So if you were at two point seven Kelvin, you'd give off microwaves. Yeah. So around the same time that that this thing was experimentally discovered, theorists looking at the universe in equation form, going, "Well, hang on, the universe is expanding," and there was a big bang. Maybe after that, there would have been this period of, of you know, um, the universe being opaque and then it could have transitioned to the transparent. But we should see that. We should be able to measure that. Let's do a quick calculation of what that would look like. And it came out to be staggeringly accurate, didn't it? It's one of the most perfect agreements between theory and observation that we've ever had in science. And one of the, the lovely things about it, I mean, if you look at the way the data fits the theory, right, the theory says that the universe should have been this thing, well, would have been a thing called what physicists called a black body. And a black body is one of those hard things to wrap your head around as, a, as, a, as an undergraduate physicist. What, what are we talking about, black body? But all it really means is that you can, like all of, the, all of the radiation, all of the light, all of the photons that are hitting this thing, all of it will get absorbed. It's completely black. Anything that hits it will get absorbed. That will raise its internal energy and then it'll give off, as we said before, it'll give off some photons because it is a particular temperature. But the point of a black body being that it, it can absorb everything that hits it, as opposed to stuff that we see around us, which absorbs some and reflects some and transmits some. Yeah. It's but basically a, a perfect object yeah, in the yeah. universe. So it's, it's just as a temperature and it has a perfect spectrum because it's got this beautiful temperature and it's putting out the light of that temperature. And that's what the universe was, partly because it's the universe. It contains all the radiation, so it's going to absorb all of it at some point anyway. But just before the atoms formed, just at this transition period, all of that light was being absorbed. It was all bouncing around. And then suddenly, bang, it changes. And we get a glimpse of the radiation at that point in time. And so the mathematics of that black body is really, really well known. We knew that really well. It's a fairly simple equation you can write it down and predict what would that be and you measure it and it's the most stunning stunning lineup of here's the data that we measure here's what it should be and they are spot on it's extraordinary it's really really lovely yeah. so Penzias and Wilson got the Nobel Prize for this in the 19th in 1978 and uh 
ever since the cosmic microwave background has completely revolutionized uh, cosmology for us because now we have a tool to look at the very, very early universe. We've never had such a, such a um, probe before. I mean, we can see far back into time when we look at very, very distant galaxies, but we're still talking about billion years or so after the Big Bang. To go from a billion years down to just a few hundred thousand years was an incredible achievement. Yeah, that's a huge difference. Now, you might sort of think... Well, hang on. I mean, okay, you've got a you've got a measurement of the temperature of the of the universe now, and and you can see that that microwave background in all directions in space. It's everywhere. So so what? I mean, that's that's basically one number, right? The universe is this temperature, but it's not that simple, is it? There's a subtlety to it. There's a a really really important subtlety, yeah. and that is that it's not perfectly smooth. Now, when you see pictures of the cosmic microwave background, you'll see that there's red spots and blue spots and there's all this beautiful structure and uh, you see a big oval shape because this is uh, basically an all-sky image that's been put onto a piece of paper, basically. Yeah, yeah. In, the same way, in the same way you can't make a map of the Earth perfectly flat and have it work really, really well. If you're going to map the, the sky, you kind of got to do it to a, a particular shape and it's not going to be rectangular. No. <laughs> it doesn't work so that way. So it's kind of, yeah, if you took the whole sky and then sort of ironed it out and smoothed it down onto yeah. a piece of paper. Yeah. yeah. So you see this lovely oval and you see all the, the colours and the shapes and the structure in that. You always have to remember that that structure is tiny. It is not obvious. It is something like one in 100,000 the difference in temperature that you're seeing here. So we are still basically saying, what is the temperature of the universe when we look at, in, in terms of its microwave radiation? You know, this is this is the, the the temperature that we're measuring from the microwaves that we that we receive, um, and it's roughly two point seven Kelvin, but tiny little wiggles above or below that average number. And what is that telling us? What's that saying? Well, it contains huge volumes of information because remember that this is not just the photons that came from this very, very early time in the universe. They're carrying the information of what the universe was like when they left, if you like. The this surface of last scattering is kind of what the cosmologists like to call what it. a lovely term. Yeah, this, this period when these photons were released from the universe into the universe or part of the universe through the yeah yeah, mm. yeah. anyway released from the universe used, yeah, yeah in the universe and um so they contain all the information that they had when they left they also contain all the information that they've picked up on their journey towards us because it has been a long time it's been a while you know, they've been traveling for 13 basically 13.8 billion years so that's yeah that's a long journey so there's lots of different types of variations in the cosmic microwave background that we study to find out early conditions in the universe and also how the universe evolved over the intervening 13 billion years. So you're able to tease those two things out. Yeah, yeah. And we're able to get a lot of information. So I sort of, I was summarizing and I got into a lot of rabbit holes when I was reading <laughs> There's a lot this. of weeds on this one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this we can't understate the importance of the cosmic microwave background and how much information it contains. Some of it incredibly technical. But um, I tried to sort of summarize all the things that we knew from the CMB into some kind of overarching themes to give you a flavor of just some of the things that we've learned since discovering this. So the first sort of theme, if you like, is we've learned a lot about our origins. The cosmic microwave background supports the model of the Big Bang, mm -hmm. first of all. Not just because it exists yeah. and it kind of should, but actually because it exists and it's super, super smooth. 
Now, if we came from um, another model of how the universe came to be, even a steady state model, you wouldn't necessarily um, expect there to be the smooth, uniform radiation from everywhere in the universe. And even if you can conjure up a way to make it happen in a, in a steady state universe, for example, then you, don't ex you can't explain why it should be so perfect to within one in 100,000 parts. So the, the, even ignoring the crinkly part of it, the, the, the tiny little wiggles in the cosmic microwave background, just ignoring that and looking at how uniform it is, that really supports. There's something really interesting about it. That really supports such an explosive beginning. You'd kind of think it might be the other way around. But. It sports, yeah, definitely. And it's not just the explosive beginning, but it's also this period that we have in the early universe called inflation, where the universe didn't just grow. It, it really grew. grew. <laughs> it wasn't mucking around. It took off, and yeah. That's, and that's a topic for, like, add that one to the board, because inflation is a really big one. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, the universe was already expanding because it was, you know, it's the Big Bang. That's what it's going to do. But then it went through a really quite extraordinarily interesting and difficult to understand period called inflation where it, it just went from tiny to stupidly enormous in ludicrously small periods of time. Yeah. And Think about it as the most amazing growth spurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just absolutely staggering. But what that would have done is any, you know, any wobbles in density and, and uh, you know, differences in density and, and the way the universe would have been structured before inflation would have been smoothed out down to tiny, tiny, tiny little little changes yeah. so through if you the took course a, of this huge expansion. Just like if you took a golf ball and you expanded it to be the size of the earth, you wouldn't notice that there were dimples anymore. No. No, you wouldn't really see those unless you were, you know, a very long way away. But yeah, yeah, that's the kind of idea. So actually it, it supports, you know, the cosmic microwave background's incredible uniformity supports these ideas, which is great. And that's before you even get into the wiggles in it. Yeah. And then, yeah, and, the, and you can learn things about the age of the universe. So our most accurate age of the universe comes from the cosmic microwave background. Because this... you can get that temperature so well and you know where that temperature would have come from in the first place. Exactly. That, And so you get your 13.8 uh, billion years. I need to start saying. Point eight. I've been on point seven for a while. Yeah, and I it's think, been updated. I think I need to revise my statistics mm. there. Yeah, so 13.8 billion years. So that's kind of about the past, and it obviously tells us lots of other interesting things about that soupy glob mess. But uh, you get an, an idea of basically um, some of the things that the cosmic microwave background can tell us about that. Mm. It also tells us about the present. So we mentioned already that it tells us something about the geometry of the universe. Are we a flat universe or are we curved in some kind of way? Um, it also shows a really interesting, and this is the photons having not gone through exactly the same life, if you like. If you look at a photon from the northern hemisphere and compare it to a cosmic microwave photon from the southern hemisphere, they've come through different parts of the universe to get to us. Sure, yeah. So they carry different information about the material that they've been through on their long <laughs> voyage, if you like, to us. And uh, what we can do with this is we can actually say something about the density of matter because we know that matter interferes with space-time and photons have to follow the curvature of space-time. On a practical sense, what it means is that mass and photons interact as the photons are traveling. So the photons that go through areas where there's a lot of mass, now we're not just talking passing a nearby planet or a nearby star, 
we're talking about those photons that have, might have gone through enormous galaxy clusters compared to those who just went through void space. Right. And because we're talking about photons which have come to us over such a long period of time, we can talk about those scales. It's not, did it pass by a star? It's, did it go through some massive galactic cluster? What evidence do we see for that? Yeah. And so are you saying then that that we can see in the signature of these photons the way the universe is structured yes. at large scale. Yeah, because the photons that go through these massive clusters of matter, of galaxies and all the other bits and bobs that come with them, they end up being very, very slightly warmer than the ones that didn't. So you can actually see this kind of map of where the structure is in the universe based on the temperature. And, and huge scale structure. I mean, we've talked before about, you know, the galaxy and then the number of galaxies that we've got around us in the universe and it's you know there are galaxies everywhere go and have a look at that hubble image there of the of the hubble deep field the extreme deep field there are galaxies everywhere so what this is telling us is that at these at these really large scales like this is not just sort of you know there's a galaxy over here and there's a galaxy over there we're talking about huge huge clusters and superclusters and uber massive stupid sized clusters of material in in galaxies over here but then there's also these these sort of voids or superclusters along strings that are connected in these web-like web-like structures throughout the largest scales of the universe which is the sort of thing which boggles the mind that we can actually see that kind of structure in this way yeah and it, and it tells us not only what the structure is but kind of what it's made of as well so the cosmic microwave background has given us the most precise uh, numbers for actually the entire composition of the universe. In what way? You mean in, in terms of sort of, you know, down to the element level, hydrogen and helium, uh, that kind of thing? Or no, do you mean... no, down to the kind of what we, how much is ordinary matter, like oh, ourselves, right, yeah. how much is dark matter, and how much is dark energy. Mm. And it turns out... And that's a fairly out, embarrassing statistic, yeah, really, isn't it? Yeah, we're, we're not much. Yeah, like ordinary matter is what, something like 4% or something? 5%? Four, yeah, yeah. So 95% is uh, dark matter and dark energy. In so the 95% of the universe is the stuff that we still don't get. So, you know, doing well there. Yeah. But it does mean that we're all still in a job, which is nice. It is, it yeah, is. Yeah. So that's, that's some of the stuff that the cosmic microwave background sort of tells us about where we are now and mm -hmm. what's going on. Uh, and it also contains information about the future, so, if, sorry, what the future? Go on. The the ultimate history of the universe, where ah, we're going to end up. I see. So it tells us uh, what cosmological models we should be looking at, and um, one of the things I really like about the universe, in some ways, is that when you talk about cosmological models, it seems like sometimes the most simplest ones seem to still be working. Mm -hmm. Which you kind of think, well, we started writing down models for how the whole universe might be structured. Well, Einstein, for example, wrote down some, but at least 100 years ago, yeah. right? So, but those models seem to still work They're still... pretty well. Yeah, it's like, really... those were the easy ones to work out, but surely the universe is much more complicated than that. Turns out, no, maybe not. No, it seems to work just fine wow. for most of the stuff that we observe. So we can uh, use that to therefore predict, like we talked about before, the outcomes of what the universe will eventually do in infinite time. Will it keep coasting on and expansion will continue forever and ever? Or will expansion eventually stop? Everything will turn around and collapse back down to a kind of inverted Big Bang. Yeah. I, just something you mentioned then, I'm, I'm always really staggered to think, I mean, Einstein's stuff was sort of, you know, 100 years ago was when he was really hitting his stride and the whole general rel relativity thing really changed the way we view the world. And that's 100 years ago, which sounds like a really long time. 
It is only 100 years ago. And when you think about the discovery of the cosmic microwave background, like that's only 50 years ago. We've only known about this stuff. We've only had this evidence of how the universe is for one professional astronomer's lifetime. And you even know, less than that. Even, that's amazing. I mean, 1997 was uh, supernova results for dark energy, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, 2003 was the last time we flew boomerang. So we got some of these fantastic um, results about the shape of the universe that matched the supernova data. You know, this is new this stuff. Is, this is new stuff. And it's really easy to sort of assume, oh, we've known about this for ages. You know, even if you're learning about it for the first time, well, surely, surely this is stuff we've known about for it. No, it's not. This mm. is this is new and it's exciting. It, you don't have to go back terribly far before the idea of the Big Bang didn't even exist. We didn't think that the universe had a beginning. It was always that way. Turns out, no. We've got all this evidence, including the cosmic microwave background, which is new, still new to humanity. I find that fascinating. Mm. And the latest data release, which just came out, has just refined all these numbers to insane levels of precision. When you say right? da- data release, from, from what? From... So this has come from Planck. Right. So Planck is our latest space telescope. So balloons played a really, really important role in uh, the cosmic microwave background, yeah. but we can't emit. You fact. can't beat a telescope in space, though, yeah. really, can you? No, you really can't. So Planck, um, is the, Planck is the one. That's the microwave So one? we've had a few, but Planck is the most recent. So Planck flew from 2009 to 2003. 13. And the last data release from Planck just came out uh, middle of last year in 2018. So even, even though the mission finished in 2013, it's taken six years to get, or five years to get the, the last data release. Because there was a lot a, of data. It's a lot of data. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's the whole not, sky, right? It's not a criticism. No, I'm no, just, no. You know. <laughs> these things are huge. And yeah, whole sky surveys. So these are how we get the big, big maps. And, uh, and we're, you know, we're still looking at stuff in Planck's cosmic microwave background. But um, there seems to be one thing, one very, very elusive thing mm-hmm. that we're looking for and we just can't find, which is very, very interesting. So what's that? Okay, so we're going to have to backtrack a little bit here and okay. just mention polarization. Right. So light can be polarized. And what that means is basically it can have a direction to the way that the electric and magnetic fields that make up light wiggle yeah yeah i mean lights light is weird and we we could talk so much about how weird light is but light is weird in 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 a couple of particular ways one is that we sometimes talk about photons and that's the particle of light and light can can be a photon it can be a particle but it can also be a wave and that's quantum baby so when light is a wave it wiggles in a particular direction it has it has an electric field and a magnetic field and they're at right angles to each other but it wiggle the, the electric field and the magnetic field wiggle up and down or le- or sideways and yeah. that's the direction of that of that field so my very base and completely incorrect but kind of useful way Go of imagining then. this is if you have kind of like an arrowhead and then you've got a, a wiggly tail so this is my photon. That, okay. That yeah. Arrowhead with a wiggly them. tail. Yeah. And depending on which way that tail wiggles, does it wiggle up, down or left, right? Depends on the polarization. All right. So if that works for you, listeners, then go with the arrowhead with the wiggly tail. Or you can think of a wave going up and down or, you know, a piece of string wiggling up and down or left to right, that sort of thing. Anyway, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about direction of, of wiggle. So polarization is what? So you have two types of polarization. You can wiggle basically one way or you can wiggle the other way. And uh, so they're looking for the signature of polarization in the cosmic microwave background because finding that, well, we can find it um, wiggling, the light wiggling one way, 
which is known as an e-mode. And those e-modes, we, we sort of know why they should be there. They should be there because the plasma that they basically formed in made them that way. So that's fine. We, we get that. Fine. Yeah, okay. those photons are, you know, we're, we're, we're cool with them. That, that wiggle's accounted for. Good. But we should see some of the photos w- wiggling the other way, which are basically B-modes. Okay. And B-modes should happen. Well, what, a couple of things can happen to them. But the one we're looking for that's happened to them is that inflation actually wiggled them. Right. There's this period in the very early universe where the universe just blew up extraordinarily should have changed the wiggle of the photons. Yeah. And if you move matter around, we get this phenomenon, which we feel quite familiar with now, called gravitational waves. Right. We talked about that. So in inflation, you had a lot of matter moving around. Very, very quickly. (laughs) Very quickly. So you had a lot of gravitational waves produced. And we think that they should have changed these photons so that they have these B modes. Okay. And no, haven't seen it? We can't find them. We thought we had, but then it turns out that we didn't. We just didn't take into account some other effects that were in the cosmic microwave. Was this the thing that was reported on a while ago where there were observations from, I think it was from Antarctica? Yeah, where the South were, Pole Telescope. Yeah, and yeah. there was these huge announcements. You know, it was almost on the scale of the announcements of, of from from LIGO and things like that, of the gravitational waves themselves, which was, hey, we've seen um, we've seen the, the, the polarization of these photons in the cosmic microwave background, and we've seen evidence for this stuff. And that then went very quiet? Well, unfortunately, they had seen it. I mean, what they saw was real in the data. Yeah. This is going back, what, about five years or something? Yeah, like 2014. Yeah. So yeah. this BICEP yeah. um, was the team that did this. And they did a fantastic job and they pulled out these um, these B-modes. But they we hadn't quite accounted for the amount of dust that was in that direction. And cosmic dust polarizes light all by itself as Damn well. It. Damn it. Yeah. So Planck actually helped us clear that up. Right. But yeah, it was a bit annoying. Yeah. Because that. that was a big announcement. That was yeah. really big stuff. That was So that was the first kind of round of we've seen this, therefore gravitational waves. Like LIGO was we're seeing gravitational waves themselves, the actual things. But the bicep discovery was we've seen evidence for these gravitational waves in the inflationary period of the universe. Like that's what that is. Yeah. Turns out, no, it's actually dust. And it would have been the first detection of gravitational waves yeah. too. But which is why that was so huge, yeah. except it wasn't. Except it wasn't Which quite. is a shame, but hey, that's science. Yeah, that's we, how it works. we sometimes get it wrong. Yeah, yeah. And you get it wrong because, oh, there was this thing. You know, we're not stupid. We just learnt now that there's dust. Okay, and that's what it does. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, we haven't found it. But, and there's starting to be a little bit of a question. Well, probably we should have seen it by now. by now. Should have seen it by now. So there's some interesting these, stuff there. These measurements are getting incredibly detailed, aren't they? Like if you if you go back to the original measurement of the cosmic microwave background with Poseidon and Wilson and their big horn, then um, that was basically just, you know, the universe is at 2.7 degrees Kelvin. And then you start getting more detailed maps of the universe and you can see some structure in it. But the earliest ones, was it was Kobe the first? Was Kobe the was first? the first uh, satellite, you know, space telescope. Satellite measuring it. And the Kobe maps were incredibly detailed, but really quite sort of broad brush. You know, there's a, there's a bit of red over here and a bit of blue over there. Low resolution. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. And then it's been getting higher and higher resolution as you go along to the point where now they're incredibly intricate maps of the universe. And we're still not seeing these B-modes. Not yet. And we should have No. By we, now. Well, that's the question. We mm. probably should have. 
So it's interesting. And it's interesting to think about how that's impacted cosmic microwave background science now. Because Planck's finished. It's, you know, it's been um, set into a little safe orbit. It's turned off. It's fine. but Done the, done the job. Never going to talk to him again. Nope. Uh, so what's next, you're going to ask? That's exactly what I'm going to ask. Where do we go from here? Well, no? we don't have any big plan missions. Ooh. So that's the interesting thing. We, have we done everything, all the science we can with the CMB? Probably not. Have we done the biggest, you know, most... Um, most thorough, yeah. most complete study? Well, I mean, sort of, have we got the easy stuff out? Probably. Right. Yeah. The yeah. biggest the low headlines. Fruit. Have we done written most of the nature papers that yeah. we can out of the CMB? Well, maybe. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I read an article, actually, whereby a lot of scientists who are working on the CMB are now moving into other areas because there's no data coming through. Mm. There's no new data now. That's that's a worry, and yet there's still unanswered questions. There's still unanswered questions, yeah. So it'll be so interesting to see what happens. It. Yeah, so there are teams that are still going to work. South Pole Telescope and um, the BICEP team. I think they've got BICEP 2 now, <laughs> a new upgrade to the telescope. Especially doing, now that they know about the dust. Yeah, and they're doing lots of other science, of course, at the same time. We've really only skimmed the very, very surface of the cosmic microwave background. But, you know, it costs a lot of money to put up a space telescope. Yeah. cost a lot of money to put James Webb up. Yeah. So I guess still we, happening. Can't, we can't do everything, can we? So what started off as a joke by me, tongue in cheek, has turned out to be a really, really interesting episode about actual telescopes on actual balloons taking pictures of the sky that tell us not just about where the universe came from, but where it is now and where it's going next. And so I don't know if I could have been more wrong about that. <laughs> You'd have to try. I, I could have tried harder, but I think actually I've, I've, I've scored peak wrongness on that particular joke. So I would like to formally apologise to everyone involved in any of the telescopes on balloons experiments around the world for the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Sorry, everyone. Emily, listen, if people want to get in touch with, with us and just say, hey, Chris, that whole balloon joke thing, take that one back. Uh, or anything else. You've got questions, you've got comments, you just want to say hi. How can people get in touch with us here on the show? <gasps> well, you can grab us on Twitter. You can. We are on the Twitterverse. So if you want to uh, look us up, we are at SyzygyPod. That's S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y-P-O-D. Well done. Well done. And it's not just Twitter, is it? Oh, no. We don't stop there. It's all of the social media. Mm, yeah. Usually, Every single one. Yeah. Go and find us. And we're probably at SyzygyPod out there somewhere. Actually, I don't think we have Bebo. Does Bebo still exist? Bebo? No. What's okay. Bebo? <laughs> is, this a, is this a social this media that I'm not aware in, of? This is what we had in my... Uh, is this second... some kind of weird Kiwi social media? Is that possibly, what that is? Possibly. It was <laughs> when I was a teenager, Bebo was all the thing and you had your own sort of page and it had um, horrible like gifs on it. And Is this like some Do kind of... Do you remember of... MIDI files? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it... Yeah, yeah. But is MIDI this some files. weird sort of Christchurch version of MySpace? Is that what that is? It was, it was kind of a cheap version of MySpace. Right. Well, yeah. we're not on that. That doesn't exist anymore. But we are on, on most, if not all, of the others. We also have a webpage, syzygy.fm, and you can go there, find all our past episodes, all the all the show notes, the works. Go and listen to stuff that you haven't listened to before. Do look at the beautiful Plank, plank results because we'll put up some yep. images of those and because they're just stunning. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, this, should, we should be making wallpaper out of this stuff. We should, actually. That's not a bad idea. Hmm. 
Okay, add that to the to-do list for when I have time. Um, yeah, but the other thing you can do on our webpage, of course, is go to the contact page and send us a little note and say hi. If you're looking for things to do other than just contacting us, of course, the other thing you can do is... Give us a rating, give us a hello, give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, your your podcast source of choice. And the reason it'd be a good thing to do that is because it helps us to rise up through the noise and more people can find us. It really does help. So if you're feeling generous, you're listening to this and you're thinking, hmm, how can I give back? That's how. Go and give us a review. That would be absolutely lovely. But otherwise, that's pretty much it. Listen, over the next couple of weeks and months, I'm going to be on the other side of the planet, it turns out. I'm off to Australia. The it's cold side for once. Yeah. I mean, you know, cold, in inverted commas, because it doesn't really get that cold. I'm going to be trading Yorkshire summer for Sydney winter, and it's pretty much exactly the same, just the days are shorter. I don't believe you. No, it's true. It's true. I'll send you I'll send you the uh, the weather forecasts. Trust me, it's true. I'll be walking around in a T-shirt in winter. With All... very, very soggy shoes. Well, yeah, okay. It'll be raining, but then, you know, this is Yorkshire. Anyway, point is, I'm going to be away, and so we might have a little bit of a slowdown on scissors. You might turn into sort of intentionally every two weeks rather than just randomly every two weeks. Um, but we will continue going and then when I'm back sort of towards the end of the Northern Hemisphere summer, we'll, we'll kick back into more of a, a regular gear again. But for now, I've got to go and pack a bag and get on a plane. What are you doing, Emily? Marking exams. Marking exams. Everyone send Emily lots of positive marking thoughts and we'll catch up with you in roughly a week or two weeks' time. Catch you next time. See you later. Bye. 